need to just get this on. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for the warm welcome. It's a, a real privilege to get to uh, serve you again. Oh, the youth are going into their groups. Yeah, they already have left anyway. <laughs> they didn't want to listen to me speak this morning. So I thought, oh, we'll go out now. Yeah. If it's Sam, we're going to go out now. Anyway, real privilege to, to be with you this morning. Uh, so my family and I uh, have moved to Bexhill now. Uh, we live right by the sea. It's nice to wake up to the sounds of the waves crashing on the beach, uh, even though our, our heating broke this morning. Um, it's still great. Anyway, we, we've settled in really well. We felt uh, very welcome. Um, a King's Church, Bexhill, uh, we, we're getting to know, obviously, the guys in there. They have made us feel so, so, so welcome. But we do miss you guys as well. And it's just such a privilege to get to coming this morning and serve you uh, by speaking God's word to you. My, my sons and myself still do a daily trip to Hastings each day because I still work in Hastings. And so both boys are still... Uh, in school in Hastings. And so on one of these trips, I'm driving, our boys are five and three, so I'm driving, and boys, the boys are having a chat in the back. My five-year-old says to my three-year-old, Zach, if something is really pretty and lovely and great, you say it's sick. <laughs> At this point, I'm driving and I'm thinking, looking in the mirror, hold on, what did you just say? Well, actually, if it's great, you say, you say it's sick. So my three-year-old sits there, and then he goes, sick, and he laughs. And I'm thinking, growing up, the word sick actually meant that you were nauseous, or, you know, you were ill, or unwell, or something like that. But he goes on, and he says, sick means that the thing is great, and it's cool. Unknown to me, it's actually one of those words that have, over time, changed. And they, they, they actually mean the opposite of what they initially stood for. So he goes, he says, my five-year-old says to the three-year-old, so I can actually say, my shoes are sick. <laughs> and then my three-year-old goes, I think my jogging bottoms are sick. <laughs> At this point, I don't want to get left out. I go, I think my jacket is sick, you know. <laughs> and we all, it's amazing. But language has changed so much. Sick. Shall we pray together? <laughs> Father, we, <laughs> somebody says that's just sick. <laughs> I think prayer is sick. <laughs> Shall we pray together? Father, we, we thank you this morning that our sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and that we bear it no more. I thank you that that is only just part of the story. But beyond that, you call us to lives of righteousness. You call us to live lives that are devoted to you, lives that honor you. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to engage with your word again this morning. I ask that you'd help me as I serve your church. I pray, God, that you'd prepare our hearts. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and touch our hearts. Would you do a sovereign work in this place this morning? I pray that you'd help us engage with your truth. That, Father, Lord, our lives will be transformed ultimately for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series 
uh, in Romans, so Romans chapter 6, I'm doing the second part of Romans chapter 6. We're looking at the gospel, God's power for Christian living. So if you have your Bibles with you, you kindly want to turn to Romans uh, chapter 6 from verses 15 to 23. Hopefully the scripture would come up. From verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's interesting that in the first part of, of Romans chapter 6, we were held to see uh, the fact that we, we have died to sin. We're no longer under uh, the power of sin. That, that seems to be Paul's focus in the first part of Romans chapter 6. And so at the end of that section in verse 14, he says this. He says, for sin shall no longer have dominion over you. He makes that very clear. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. And as he opens up in the second part of chapter 6, he starts off with, with another question. He says this, so what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Because early on in chapters 5 verse 13, he had made a point about the fact that but sin is not counted where there is no law. And so basically Paul's, Paul's inference here is this, why if this is the case, then maybe we could sin freely. But he answers immediately. It's very much like the question he asked in chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. This one has a slight twist. He says, so shall we sin because we are no longer under the law, but under grace? Paul says, no. Don't give in to such nonsense. Absolutely not. We do not say that. Because we are not, no longer under the law, and so therefore we go on sinning. Paul says, by no means, we can't live like that. So having denied that being under grace 
and not under law leads to license, Paul begins to set up a stark contrast between slavery, sin, and death as against obedience, righteousness, and eternal life. So in verse 16, he, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Do you not know that if you present yourselves as slaves to somebody or to a power, ultimately, the one you obey is the one whose slave you are? Paul, in saying, do you not know, it's not suggesting that the Roman believers didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Because actually, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, it says, Paul again writing, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So these guys were familiar with what Paul was saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul again says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So they were very familiar with what Paul was addressing. So even though he says, Do you not know, Paul was seeking to bring them a reminder of things that they already knew. And, and church, you guys already know these things, that your bodies, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know these things. And so this morning, again, we're seeking to just bring a reminder to ourselves, but to also challenge us. Paul says this, church, if you present yourself as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. And he says it's either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. And it's interesting because he uses the Greek word doulos. And the Greek word doulos basically means slave. Eight times in nine verses, Paul uses the word slaves as he addresses this whole subject. And I, I know it's, it's a tricky subject. It has a lot of negative connotations. Ultimately, we think about the past, and we think, oh yeah, well, slave trade and all that, and even modern-day slavery. So, it does, when we think slaves, when we think slavery, oftentimes a lot of negative things come to mind. Aside that, we also are a people who love our freedom. We, we want to be free. We speak of freedom of expression. We speak of freedom of speech. I don't know what other freedom we're going to have. But we, 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 we want to be free. And so when we, we, we tackle issues like this, to be very honest, it's a hard one. Nobody wants to be a slave. The Bible speaks often of freedom. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. John 8 verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So where from the subject of slavery? Well, you see, the idea of slavery echoes the very words of Jesus. In John chapter 8 verse 33, 34, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the illustration used by Paul would have been understood by all at the time because slavery was very common. There were lots of slaves amongst the people at the time. So Paul cast life 
into an either-or category. There is middle, no middle ground, he says. No half-house. We cannot be both at the same time. We cannot be slaves to sin and also be slaves of God. We cannot have one foot here and the other one that he says, you are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. He makes that very, very, very clear. A person is either yielded to God or righteousness or to the flesh and its lust. And Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, you cannot serve God in money. Basically, you can only be a slave to one. Either slaves to sin or slaves to God. Church, the proof of whose slave we are comes from seeing who we obey. Paul goes on and he actually says, there's two choices. Choice number one is this. We can enjoy the pleasures of sin, but he makes it clear. He says it leads to enslavement, which ultimately ends in death. He says it is never satisfied. He makes it clear that it leads to shame. He says that slavery to sin also deceives and it's pay off. The wages of sin is death, he says. Choice number two, heartfelt obedience to God. Because, in fact, it is not an option. It leads to righteousness, he says. It leads to freedom from sin. It leads to sanctification. It leads to a clear conscience. It leads to enjoyment of eternal life. So he says, there's just these two options. You either choose to be a slave to sin or a slave to to God. So you see, in Christ, we have made a decisive break with our old ways in Adam. Paul was speaking about that. And we've been called to both renounce sin as master and daily foster allegiance to the risen Son who sets us free. We have a new master now. And his name is Jesus. And so Paul calls us to on a daily basis say no to sin, old master, yes to the son of God, our new master. We have been called to obedience, that is adherence to the gospel in faith and life. As we sow to please the spirit, the result, brothers and sisters, is transformation. We are changed into the likeness of Christ. Thank you for that. The result of heartfelt obedience to Christ is righteousness in our character and in our conduct. If you look at your own life, look back at when you came into faith and see how much God has. I'm sure many of us would say a lot has changed. Sin leads to death in every sense, though the grace of Christ is strong enough to keep the Christian who sins. I need to make this point clear, that as Christians, we sometimes sin. In fact, I probably should say all the time, we sin anyway. We do every now and then, we do sin. It doesn't mean that we are still legally slaves to sin. I want us to just get this point. Legally, our position has changed. But functionally, 
every now and then we get drawn into sin. It's not because the power of sin is still there, we sin by choice. Because the power of sin over our lives has been broken. And so when sin comes knocking and sin says, come on, Sam, let's go do this, I have power to say to sin, sorry, I'm not coming with you. Previously, when sin was my master, I had no choice. Sin didn't even have to say Sam. It just said, hey, oh, yes, here I am. Do this, yes, do that, yes, do this. But now that Jesus has broken the power of sin over our lives, when sin comes calling, we have power to say no. But there are times when we, we fall into that. The point I'm trying to make is this. There are consequences, and oftentimes we lose fellowship with God. So ultimately, our salvation is intact, but if we continue functionally sinning, we lose fellowship with God. When God speaks, we don't hear him. And for many people, they are then afraid to even come into the presence of God. God still loves you, but sin can become a barrier, and God doesn't want that for his church. And so he challenges us, and he says, slaves to God, slaves to righteousness. I struggle when people say, God wants you to be you. I don't believe that. Or when people say, God just wants you to be. No, I think God wants us to be like Jesus. If God wanted some to be like some, I would still be very selfish. If God wanted me to be me, I would always want to hide in my corner and not want to connect with it. I, I, I like my personal space. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a very shy person and um, like to hide away in a corner and do my own thing. My wife will tell you. She says, no, let's go. No, no, no. I just want to stay at home. If God wanted me to be me, that would be me. I don't think God wants us to be us. God wants us to be like his son, Jesus. And I, I'll just, I mean, Romans chapter, chapter 8, verse 29, it says that God has predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord as we are being changed into his likeness. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved. We are God's children now, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Past, God says, predestined to be like my son. Present, God says, I'm changing you to be like my son. Future, God says, when my son appears, you'll be like him. All three perspectives pointing to the same direction. I think God wants us to be more and more like Jesus. Not more and more like Sam. Not more and more like you, but more and more like Jesus. In verse 17, Paul says this. Exciting news. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It's interesting. Paul talks about the standard of teaching. I believe he was, he was referring to the gospel or the message that ultimately brought the believers in Rome 
um, their faith. It brought them into a living relationship with God. He says, praise God that actually you had the standard of teaching and you, and you believed it from the heart. And I know that is the story of many here this morning. You had the gospel and you believed with your heart. God has brought us to a good place. Paul says that there's a need to understand this. Something deep has happened in the heart. It is not a surface thing. It's a deep work that only God can do. God goes deep into our hearts. He takes the heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh that ultimately can respond to him because previously the heart of stone couldn't respond to God. So he comes in and he performs a special kind of surgery, takes away my heart of stone and he gives me a heart of flesh. You see, church... One of the marks of a true believer is a deep, deep heart distaste for sin and a desire to live for God. The result of having given themselves to this standard of teaching, Paul says, was that they had been freed from sin. But he also makes clear that they, they had become slaves to righteousness. Having believed the gospel, we experientially realize freedom in our lives from the power of indwelling sin. And freedom, on the other hand, to live for righteousness. You see, being set free from sin is only the first part. And I, I worry because oftentimes we stop there. We rejoice in the fact that we are free from sin, which is great. But that is only a little part of the story. God has freed me from my sin. Yes! I bear them no more. Yes, God has forgiven past sins, present sins, future sins. Yes, I bear them no more. God has taken my shape. That's all true, but that is only a part of the story. Guess what else God has done? He's called us to be slaves to righteousness. But oftentimes we stop but only a part of the story. Well, the challenge this morning is no longer slaves to sin. Now Paul says, slaves to God. The exciting thing, however, if you're still thinking negative things, the exciting thing we need to know about being slaves to God is this. If it's still hard for you to stomach, Paul says that, the important thing or the exciting thing about this slavery in church, I want us to listen, is that it is actually good news. Why is it good news? Well, Paul says it is good news because, one, it leads to obedience. It leads to sanctification. It leads to righteousness. And it leads to eternal life. So it is good slavery. God is not a terrible slave master who comes and says, come on, get on with the way. No. He actually, he calls us to walk with him. And in fact, over time, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Over time, he says, actually, you are my sons and my daughters. He says to us, you are co-heirs with Christ. That is the kind of God we're talking about. We're not talking about some terrible slave master. No. But a key thing in there is our lives are now yielded to another. 
we are no longer ourselves. We ultimately belong. I think the key thing in there is the fact that, church, you are no longer your own. You belong to another. You no longer call the shots. If we're going to be slaves to God and to righteousness, it means that we no longer call the shots. We allow God to come in and speak into our lives. That's what it means. We are yielded to another. Previously, it was to sin. But having broken the power of sin over our lives, Paul says, you're now slaves to God. We yield to another who is God. Not in a legalistic way, but in love. In Ghana, where I'm from, a lot of people have what they call house health. I think they're just slaves. But the idea is that oftentimes young ladies, the idea is that these young ladies come and stay with the families. And they basically do all the cooking, all the washing, they bathe the babies and look after the home. And some people mistreat some of these young ladies. But I'm also aware of families who go out of their way to find some of these young ladies. And the, the sole purpose of seeking these ladies is to actually make their lives better. So they go find these young ladies. They often would go to the rural areas, or what we, we call them villages, and they bring them into the cities. These young ladies stay at home with them. They eat the same food their children have. These young ladies would be giving, you know, money for clothes and all. They do the same things that the family does. Sometimes they get them to learn a trade. At the end of the day, these young ladies are ultimately better people. And I think God is like that. God wants to do us good. God wants to do you good. And so he calls you and he says, come and, and walk with me. We need to be aware that the controlling power over us is no longer the destructive, poisonous power of sin, but the life-giving power of righteousness. It's amazing. Paul makes it very, 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 very clear. We go on, and then in verse 18, he says, Having been set free from sin, you're now slaves of righteousness. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Previously, when we lived under the power of sin, Paul says that we, we used our members. Earlier on, he says the same thing in, in the early part of, of chapter 6. He says, now do not use the parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, but use them ultimately as instruments that glorify God. He, he, he repeats the same thing here again. When we lived under sin, we were zealous. We used the, the parts of our bodies to do all these terrible. Paul says, use the same zeal. If you would go to football matches and you would scream, I'm not saying that sin, and you would scream and shout and bring the roof down, when you come into the presence of God, we want to hear your voice. We don't want you to suddenly go quiet. If you were very bold and you could stand before your mates, 
and then say all sorts of terrible things. Yeah, we want you to lead us into the town center, stand on a box, and begin to preach the gospel. Same zeal, Paul says, now channel that into righteousness. He challenges us. He says, use that for the glory of God. Just to finish off, Paul says that sometimes people who sin may think that they are actually free from righteousness. But he says, no, this is not the case at all. In reality, they are slaves to an evil, accusing conscience and can never have the glorious freedom God envisions for his children. They reap ruined lives and estrangement from God, the source of life, righteousness, and freedom. In the end, Paul says they are ashamed of what they have done. They are disgraced for having lived a lawless lifestyle. God cannot be mocked. In the end, he says, the wages of sin is death. To conclude, in verse 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I think when Paul, again, contrasts, you know, sin, and then ultimately eternal life or death and eternal life. He is now not referring to these two as slave masters, but as different generals. The idea here, the term wages alludes to compensation that was paid to a soldier for services rendered. So sin ultimately promises to pay a wage to its soldiers to take care of their needs. But in the end, it is a lie and death is the payment, not provision for life. However, Paul says, eternal life is not end. It comes as a radically free gift of God. It is completely according to the grace of God. And God has not asked his people to try to end eternal life in any way. He says eternal life, even though Paul does a, a work of just contrast. He says, no, 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 sin will pay you wages. This is what you earn. This is what you get for your sin. But when it comes to eternal life, Paul says, no, no, you don't have to work for it. It's free. You know, church, at one point, all of us were in the slave market of sin. Put on display by sin. Somebody called Jesus, the Son of God, stepped into the slave market of sin. And he said, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. You know, the interesting thing about slave markets was they often would go for the strong ones. No, it wasn't like that with Jesus. He went for the rubbish ones like me. Sometimes I sit back and I'm like, God, I don't know why you chose me. Yeah, yeah, he came for you as well. So don't laugh at me. He came for you. He got you as well. And Jesus comes into, he comes into the slave market of sin. And he says, I want this one. I want you. I want this one. I want that one. I want that one. And in the slave market, they would pay money. No, Jesus didn't pay. He didn't pay. He didn't pay money. He didn't pay money for you and for me. He paid with his precious blood on the cross. 
He says, I want this one. I want this one. Do you know how much it's going to cost? Sin says, do you know how much it's going to cost? Jesus says, name your price. Sin says, death. Jesus says, bring it on. You sure? Yes, death. Bring it on. Jesus goes to the cross. He declares, it is finished. Son of God stormed that slave market of sin. Purchased you and me. You, you, you with his precious blood. Story doesn't end there. He says, come take a walk with me. Walk with me. Journey with me. You can be my friend. I no longer call you servant. Friend. And the challenge is this. This new or this God slavery, being slaves to God. It's good news. Because we're being sanctified. We're being made more and more into the likeness of Jesus. At the end of our story, eternal life. John says eternal life is knowing God. So in this life, we enjoy eternal life. Beyond this life, we enjoy eternal life. What a privilege. What a privilege. Not so for those still dead in their sins. I'd just like to invite the band to come up, if that's okay. And then maybe we can all stand together. Just, um, just two responses this morning, really. There are some who have been ultimately freed from the power of sin and are slaves of righteousness, are slaves of God. But sometimes we go one foot here, other times another one there. Paul says, there's no middle ground. Well, the challenge this morning is, I guess, to come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I've effectively played on that side as well. And if you know of, I mean, I'm sure God will pro probably just put a finger on this sin or that sin. This is, you don't have to tell me, this is you and God time. You do business with God. Just come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I... <laughs> I want to continue to walk with you. He's a loving father. He loves you. So if that applies to you, you do business with God. First. So you, you have a relationship with him. But there have been times when you've gone and then played on that team. And you know, you've, you've come, you go backwards and forwards. No, God, I haven't called you to live that way. No, I've called you to live in righteousness. And then second group, you're here. You've been listening to me and none of this really resonates. 
you probably are trying hard on your own to break free from the power of sin, well, I want to say to you that Jesus is here and he wants to effectively give you new life. Only Jesus can break the power of sin. Only Jesus can take away the power of sin. Only Jesus can do that. And if that applies to you, I just would love, in your own words, to reach out to Jesus. He's a life-giving person. He will give you life. Just reach out to him this morning and say, Jesus, I need you because I can't do this on my own, in your own words. So two groups of people, just, let's just for a few minutes just do business with God. And then I think I'm going to stop talking now and hand over to Paul. God bless you, church.